What time is it? Do you know the time? It's probably a question that we ask one another on a regular basis, probably a daily basis. We ask each other, what time is it? My clock that I have on my wrist, ever since I've owned it, at the top of every hour, it beeps twice. And it reminds me that another hour is done and another hour is coming. Uh, probably the reason that we ask questions like that is that we don't want to miss an important, uh, an important appointment or a meeting that we have. We don't want to be late for work. We don't want to be late for school. What time is it? In our world of speed and greed, time is a precious commodity. Many of you, when you came in this morning, and I heard a couple of comments, uh, somebody said to me before the service began, the clock is right in front of us, and it's showing us the time, but it's the wrong time. It shows 12 o'clock. I want you to know that we've put that clock up here for a reason, because we want to ask you the question over the next 10 weeks, what time is it? I'm excited this morning to start a new series with you entitled God's Clock of the Ages. And this title that I'm using for this series is not my own title. In fact, it comes from a book that was written many, many years ago by Charles Baker entitled God's Clock of the Ages. And over the next 10 weeks, what we would like to do is we would like to go through some of the material that Charles Baker goes through in this book, in fact, we have a hundred copies that are out on the Welcome Center table for you to take one. And we encourage you to take one and to take this maybe as a family and to use this as a guide for the next 10 weeks to study and to think about some of the issues that Charles Baker brings up in this small pamphlet, God's Clock of the Ages. Charles Baker was the founder of Grace Bible College. And Grace Bible College is basically the teaching arm of our fellowship. We have a school. We have Grace Bible College that is a part of our educational system that we encourage higher thinking by way of Grace Bible College. And that's the school that Charles Baker started many, many years ago. He wrote this pamphlet back in 1937. It was the first time that it was printed. And then it was printed a third time in 1949. And then it was printed a 13th time back in 1996. And I would suggest to you that what he has shared in this booklet, this pamphlet, is appropriate for us to consider today. In fact, I would encourage you to consider this. Avoid the technological arrogance of sophisticated snobbery. And let me explain what I mean by that. It means this, that if a writing or a song has not been written in the last six months, it is disregarded as old, ancient, and out of touch. Be careful of the technological arrogance of sophisticated snobbery that we can fall under. Just because something was written a hundred years ago 
does not mean that we disregard it. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I'm afraid that today, oftentimes, if something is not written within the last couple of months, we disregard it as something that's not appropriate or it's not for us today. Be careful. What Charles Baker writes in this pamphlet, God's Clock of the Ages, I think you're going to find is going to open up, hopefully, some understanding about who God is. In fact, Charles Baker was a man that I believe had a deep love for the scriptures and he had a deep love for Christ. And you'll see that in his writings. I would encourage you, if you don't have this book in your library, to include this book. And this book is my copy. It's worn. You can't even see the title on it. But this book is called Dispensational Theology. If you don't have this in your library, please get it. Grace Publications is the one that puts it out. This book will give you the details of what this book says. This is kind of the introductory. What dispensational theology will do is it will give you a deeper understanding of what he talks about in the pamphlet, God's Clock of the Ages. This book is a great resource for you and I to chew on because Charles Baker had an understanding of God and he reveals some of that understanding in his writings. There's a third book that I would encourage you to consider if you don't have this in your library. Again, the author is Charles Baker. This book is entitled, Understanding the Gospels, A Different Approach. These three books, I believe, you will be very well read and also very blessed if you have these three books as resources in your library to consider the study of God's Word. Because here's what Charles Baker did. He wrote about this in the book, the book. And Charles Baker, I believe, was a great thinker, a great theologian, but he was also a very humble man. I heard him speak once in chapel when I was at the campus of Grace Bible College as a student. I was there from 1978 to 1985, and Charles Baker was getting up in years, and he spoke one time in chapel that I remember. And what I remember about Charles Baker was not necessarily what he shared theologically. What I saw in that man in his presentation was a heart of humbleness and a heart of love for God through his presentation. See, we can be great theologians. We can write about great things. But if it doesn't change it, if it doesn't affect our personal life, we're nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. I believe that these three resources would be good resources for you to consider purchasing for either Father's Day, Mother's Day, or for Christmas. Give yourself a gift. Give your spouse a gift. Give them a book of one of these three. So these next 10 weeks, we're going to consider God's clock of the angels. I'd like us to consider the big picture of God and who he is. Oftentimes, the Bible can become very confusing for us. There are 66 books in this one book. It's almost like the Bible is a library of books. 
And oftentimes when we read it, we don't understand how it all fits. In fact, my father, at a very young age of 18, 19 years old, he was just a young man, he was ready to leave the church. In fact, he was on his way out. He was going to leave the church because the church didn't make sense to him. It was too confusing. It contradicted itself. Why read a book that contradicts itself? And my father was on his way out of the church. And then he met Bonnie Byer. And the Byers have been a rich blessing here at this church, haven't they? It's interesting that usually it's you women that straighten out us corky guys. And that was true of my mother and my father when they met. My father came to Berean Bible Church on Maple Street, and he wanted to know some of the questions that were embedded in his heart. So what do you say about this, Pastor Moore? And Pastor Moore started sharing from the Bible some of what is found in God's clock of the ages. And my father started to see and started to understand some of the scriptures from this way of seeing the scriptures. And some of the light bulbs started to go on to my father's heart. And mom and dad would eventually marry, and here I am. In God's clock of the ages, Charles... Uh, Charles Baker says this, we must ask, what time is it? Are we living in the Garden of Eden under probation? Are we living in an age when our conscience is to be our guide? Are we living in the shadow days under the law? Are we living in the millennial kingdom or are we supposed to be trying to establish the kingdom? What time is it? And I think that this series hopefully will give us some overview and provide a simple yet profound, understandable skeleton of the entire Bible. When one understands the big perspective, when we see the big picture, I think sometimes we miss that. And I have been so excited to get to April 3rd because this is the introduction to this series of God's Clock of the Ages. And if you haven't considered some of these things, I encourage you over the next 10 weeks to pursue some of the issues that you're going to read about in this pamphlet, but also in the scriptures, and see if these things are so. Pursue God. Who is he? What does he and what has he done in the past? This morning we begin and we're going to finish our series on June 12th when we consider the new heavens and the new earth. Some of you have already seen in the bulletin, you probably saw the insert, and I want to encourage you to take the insert out that says Sermon Series, God's Clock of the Ages, and you're going to find here a clock that we're going to be using and that we're going to be talking about over the next uh, 10 to 11 weeks. In fact, what I'm hoping to do is that when we get to the middle of June, June 19th, I might even use June 19th as a question and answer time where instead of me preaching, I might ask you, what questions do you have about God's clock of the ages? And we might just have some good opportunities to have some dialogue. I want to keep my ear to the ground. If you have questions over the next 10 weeks about some of this material, please don't be afraid to ask. Let's have some dialogue about some of these things because I believe that these issues are extremely important for us to understand what God is doing today in this age of grace, but also... The more important question, who is God? Who is this being that we worship? 
And so I hope and pray that this will be a series that will have significant impact for our lives together as we consider this booklet by way of Charles Baker, God's Clock of the Ages. This morning, I'd like to give you this one thought. Consider this. God is a promise-making God. God is a covenant-making God. The God that we worship makes promises to us, and he is faithful to fulfill them. For example, we know what a covenant is. We know what a promise is. We go to a wedding, and there's two people that make a promise to one another. That's a covenant. I promise to love you till death do we part. That's a covenant. And we make that covenant before our friends and our families and before God. And that's a promise that my wife and I have made and many of you have made. We follow that example of God making a promise to humanity. God is a promise-making God. He is a covenant-making. He has made some promises to us that we need to see and we need to unpack. Because as we go through all of the scriptures, there are going to be some wonderful Promises that God gives us. God is a promise-making God. Who is this God that we worship? Would you take your Bibles and turn to the very first verse of the Bible? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I might throw you for a loop this morning by an interpretation of Genesis 1-1 that might surprise you. In our English translation, you will not see this, but this is what the Hebrew text says. In the beginning, God's, plural, created, singular. In the beginning, God's, plural, created, singular. We find in Genesis 1.1, a plurality within the Godhead. There is more than just one God. We worship one God, but there's a plurality. Even in the very first verse of the Bible, there's an indication that there is more than just one God within the Godhead. And many of us don't realize that in Genesis 1-1 there, there's this plurality, but there's this plurality within the oneness of God. Now, granted, we understand today because we now live 2,000 years beyond the first coming of Christ, that within that plurality there is a Father, a Son, and a Spirit. As we go through the Scriptures from Genesis 1 through the Bible, there is going to be a principle that you're going to see over and over again, and it's here in Genesis 1. It is called progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. Look at verse 1 here of chapter 1. We don't know. If we had just Genesis 1-1 by itself, we would know that there's a plurality within the Godhead, but there's one. How does that all work out? Well, the rest of the scripture is going to explain it. Let me give you an example. Think for a moment. Let's just use a timeline. Let's imagine a moment that we had a six-month-old child here. And as a parent, we trained this six-year-old child a six-month-old child, a certain way. They're developing. They're starting to, to grow. They're starting to crawl. They're starting to recognize faces. 
my parenting skills here at six months is going to be much different than a child who is two years old. A two-year-old child is walking, talking, understanding language, and the two-year-old child is much different than the six-month. Let's take it a step further. Let's take a 12-year-old child. My parenting skills with a 12-year-old child is going to be much different than the two-year-old child or the six-month-old child, correct? And you look at me and say, well, duh. You know, if you're a parent of any wisdom, you understand that the 12-year-old is going to be different than the two-year-old or the six-month-old. Let's go a step further. Let's now go to the 18-year-old child. How do we deal with an 18-year-old child? Do we deal with them like the two-year-old? Probably not. Why? Because they're developing and they're growing in their understanding of the world and the concepts that we're trying to teach. Take it a step further. Further, how do you deal with a 35-year-old child that's now grown and out of the house? My parenting has not changed. I'm still her father. But I deal with her differently today than when she was six months old. Why? Because there's development for her. There's development in her understanding of the world. The same principle is true, I believe, with the scriptures. Progressive revelation says this. The understanding of who God is back in Genesis 1-1 is much different than what we understand today. Because you and I, we understand that there's a father a son, and a spirit. We say, well, of course. But in Genesis 1, when Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, we believe that Moses was the author of Genesis 1-1. When he wrote Genesis 1-1, I don't believe that Moses fully understood all of that understanding of God. Why? Because of progressive revelation. Paul will indicate in Galatians 4 he will use language almost talking about humanity in its development stages. And when you read Galatians chapter 4, you see Paul talking about how humanity was under a law, the law of Moses, but once that law was lifted and now humanity went into a new stage, they now understood something different that they didn't understand back there. It's what we call progressive revelation. And so we find this principle here, I believe, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where we find this plurality of the Godhead that is revealed here in Genesis 1. Take your Bibles and turn now to the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We get to the end of the story. Does God change as a parent? No, he's still the same God. But sometimes he will deal with humanity in a different way. He is the revealer of himself. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse, uh, verses 12 and 13. Revelation 22. This is when we get into the new heavens, the new earth. In verse 12, behold, Jesus says, I am coming. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Look at verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is going to claim here that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is like the A to Z. He is at the 
beginning and the end and everything in between. God here reveals himself as the God who is from the beginning, and he is completely and fully God. So who is God? God is beyond our thinking and our thoughts. God is, as the Westminster Catechism says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God, my friends, is outside of time. He is clockless. He is boxless. God is an infinite being that is outside of time. Let me give you just a moment, maybe a word picture that might help. In the beginning, God created. And if we take the balloon and make this time, in the beginning, God created. There's a beginning and there's an end, but God exists outside of time. God is an infinite, eternal being that the Bible says even the heavens can't contain God. We can't put God in a box. Even though God reveals himself in a box. It's called time. God has began time with the beginning. In the beginning, God created. But he is not a created being. He has existed for all eternity. He exists outside of time. When you and I start thinking about some of these concepts of who God is, I guarantee you that your mind will expand and as we think about who God is, the fear of the Lord, the understanding of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom. So ponder it. Think on this. Think of who God is. Ponder the greatness and the glory of who God is. God who is timeless, who is boxless, who is clockless, created. Jim Crose, in 1973, he wrote a song, Time in a Bottle. In a bottle. If I could save time in a bottle, if I could save time in a balloon... If I could make days last forever. And then the chorus says this. But there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I've looked around enough to know that you're the one I want to go through time with. The one, my friends, as he wrote, is probably a lover of the soul. The lover of the soul is the created one that created time. Can we put God in the midst of this song? And I think... There never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I've looked around enough to know that you're the one 
I want to go through time with. When we start living in that realm, the world is going to open up like we've never seen before. God is indescribable. God is incomprehensible. As Karl Barth will say, God is, quote, wholly other. One of the cardinal points of Barth's doctrine of God is that he is the transcendent God. On every hand, Barth is out to set God immensely above the deities of the world and the substitutes for God for which modern philosophy and science research into nature's forces have put into the modern man's mind. And we can't do that with God. God is indescribable. Bart says it this way, quote, he's above us, above space and time, and above all concepts and opinions and all potentialities. In other words, God is, quote, wholly other. Here, otherness implies exclusive separation. God is separate from creation, yet he's a part of working in it and through it. Time, my friends, is but the fringe of eternity. You say, time goes. No, time stays. You and I go. We often speak of spending time. The Bible speaks of buying time. It's time holder. John Wesley said it rightly when he says, I don't have time to be in a hurry. Why? Because God is not in a hurry. It's not part of his nature. God is outside of time. In fact, one of the disciples that hung around with Jesus for three years said it this way. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. God isn't late with his promises. Some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Wow. God is slow in revealing his patience. He's called here in Revelation 22. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who is God? As Charles Baker will say in dispensational theology, he is incomprehensible, yet Paul knew him. And as we pursue God, there's a whole world out there. There's a whole new world that opens up as we seek him. God has revealed himself. The Father has revealed himself through his Son. Jesus will say it this way, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. The invisible God is revealed through his Son. And that's where we know we come to the Gospels, and we're going to talk about this in this series as we come to the Gospels. We're going to see that God the Father has revealed himself through his Son. Look at Christ. See him. Look at what he did. Look at the death. Look at the resurrection. Look at all of that. And I guarantee you, friends, he will stand above and beyond all others when it comes to humanity. Nobody else can stand against him. Why? Because he is fully God and fully man. So who is God? It's a great question for us to ponder as we think about what time is it. If you take your outline out this morning, there's a second question I'd like to ask you and would like to cover this 
in just these next few moments, and I would encourage you to write into some of the blanks here on this outline. What are the covenants? What are the promises? I'm going to use the word promise and covenant in the same light. So if you don't know what covenant means, use the word promise. What promises has God used or made to humanity? And I'd like to give you the big picture this morning. So let's go through the clock here. We are at 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock is the introduction. In the beginning, God's created. Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, verse 13. We saw that. Let's just do an overview. Look at 2 o'clock. In our outline, we're going to look at the promise that God made to Adam. We call that the Adamic Covenant. Adam with an I-C spelled at the end of it. It's the Adam Covenant. That is, God made a promise through Adam. And what we're going to find is that in all of these covenants, God will use a person. In general, he will use one person to reveal truth by way of that covenant. So here at the beginning, we're going to look at Adam next week. We're going to see some of the promises that he made to Adam that is critical for us to understand where we came from and why we are who we are. Begins in the Garden of Eden. And we'll look at some of that Adamic covenant next week. Three o'clock. Let's look at three o'clock. Genesis chapter seven through nine. We're going to look at the promise that God gave Noah. We call that the Noahic covenant or the Noahic promise. God made some promises to Noah. And there were some changes that happened in Noah's day. Do you know that before Noah went on the ark, People were living to be hundreds of years old. Do you know that Noah lived to be 950 years old? He was 600 years old when he came off the ark. And then he lived 350 years beyond that. He lived 950 years. Do you and I live to that, be that old? If we get to be 80 or 90 years old, we're doing well. Do you know that there were some changes that happened in Genesis chapter 7, 8, and 9... God changed even the lifespan of humanity. Just an observation, just a footnote. My question is, and it always still is to this day, why is it that Methuselah, who is the man that lived the longest that we have recorded in the Bible, 969 years, why didn't he live to be 1,000 years old? Because in 2 Peter that we read earlier, the Bible says that a thousand years are like one day, and one day, one day in God's heart, watch this, one day in God's heart is like a thousand years. In one day, God lives a thousand years. There's time is shattered in the heart of God. But humanity could never live, once they fell into sin, they could never live that thousand years. And yet we're going to find that in the future, there is going to be a kingdom where there will be a thousand years where Jesus will rule here on earth. I wonder. Put some of the pieces together in the restoration of humanity. Even some of the changes that we see happening throughout the ages. Here we find the Noahic covenant. That's going to be an exciting covenant when we look at that here in a couple of weeks. Let's keep looking at the clock. Look at number four. The four o'clock, Genesis 12. We're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant. Put the word Abraham and then put the two letters IC at the end of it. The Abrahamic covenant is where God is now going to choose a nation, which is the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at some of the elements of the Abrahamic covenant. 
Abraham is considered the father of Israel. They are the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the, what we call the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. And we're going to unpack some of that understanding for us when we get to the Abrahamic covenant. Let's move on to, to uh, 5 o'clock. We see the 5 o'clock here, the Exodus 19 to the Gospels is what we call the Mosaic, Moses. Some of us recognize some of these names by way of, oh yeah, I heard this story about Moses, or I heard this story about Abraham. But now, watch this, we're going to look at the big picture here, see? And now we're going to be able to see how God has revealed himself through all of time, because he's a time worker, he works within time, but we want to see the big picture here. So Moses is going to be the one. We know Moses as the one that gave the Ten Commandments. Those are only ten of some 619 commandments that God gave Moses to the people of Israel. Some of these laws are still governing us today. Principle like this, thou shalt not steal. Is that principle still hold true today? Well, I hope so, <laughs> because if not, we're in trouble. We don't want to steal from one another, and we're going to see some of these principles are going to go throughout all ages, and some of them are going to change. And we're going to find that as we go through some of this progressive revelation as we look at these. Let's look at 6 o'clock. The Davidic covenant is 6 o'clock where King David, David is the writer of most of the Psalms. David was one of the greatest kings of Israel. He killed Goliath and we know most of the stories here where David killed Goliath. David was promised that through his seed there would come a king that would rule Israel. We're going to unpack some of that as we look at the Davidic covenant. Seven o'clock. We're going to look at the new covenant. And we use the word new here because that's what Jeremiah calls it. Can I throw maybe another phrase for you as, you as we consider this? When we unpack the new covenant, I'm going to use the word the Holy Spirit covenant. Because Paul is going to talk about this new covenant in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And so we're going to see some of this new covenant that was of Old Testament, but Paul will develop it, and through progressive revelation, we will come to understand more of this new covenant as we see it unpacked, even in Paul's understanding. Eight o'clock, we're going to look at what we call the grace promise. That is the age that we live in today. If you were to ask, where do we live in this clock? What time is it? We are at 8 o'clock right now by way of our clock here on this page. We call this the grace promise, or we can use the word Pauline. Paul was revealed here through his pen what God is doing in this age of grace. In fact, he calls it that. He calls it the age of grace, so it's very biblical to use it. This is the age of grace. We'll develop that. 9 o'clock, we're going to look at the 70th week of Daniel, which I'm calling... There's a lot of different names to it. The 70th week of Daniel. We're going to call it the Wrath Covenant or the Purification Covenant. We could use either one of these. We're going to find that during this seven-year tribulation period that we believe is still yet future, that the nation of Israel is going to be purified for their coming Messiah. And we will unpack some of that during that week of looking at the 70th week of Daniel. The Antichrist is revealed during that time. He, he will be the personification of evil in God's people, at least revealing it to the nation of Israel. 
And then we get to 10 o'clock where we will talk about the kingdom covenant. The kingdom covenant where God will establish a kingdom where he will rule through Jesus Christ from the city of Jerusalem, the city of Zion. And from that city he will rule and all of the kingdoms will rest on his shoulders. In fact, Isaiah says it this way, for a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow, and there'll be no limits to the wholeness that he brings. Shalom. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealings and right living, beginning now and lasting always. The zeal of God of the angel armies will do all of this. That's the coming thousand-year kingdom where the lion and the lamb will lie down together and there will be shalom. That's the word peace. That's the word for Jerusalem. That's the city of peace, Jerusalem. And he will rule from there. Not just there, but the person peace, the prince of peace will rule from Jerusalem. What a great day that will be. It will be a kingdom covenant that God will make with the world. And then the 11 o'clock, we'll look at all things new. We'll look at Revelation 21 and 22. God makes all things new. Heaven and earth will be reestablished and God will reveal himself in a mighty way in that last covenant that we will look at all things new at that 11 o'clock hour. So that's the clock. That's God's clock of the ages. God revealing himself to us throughout all of human history. These last few moments, I'd like to give you four applications to what we've looked at this morning by way of putting some feet to some of what we've looked at this morning. Can you just fill in the last four statements here on your outline and maybe use this as a going away to think and to ponder some of what we're going to talk about over the next two and a half months? Number one, the first takeaway that I find in thinking about these things is that we need to know that he is the God of the incomprehensible. We will never exhaust the knowledge of him in this life or in the life to come. I don't believe, friends, that heaven will answer all of our questions. You know, we sometimes think, boy, once we get to heaven, we're going to understand everything and the light bulbs are going to go on. Yes, there's going to be some light bulbs that are going to go on. But there is always, there is always going to be a part of God that we are going to be scratching our heads saying, unbelievable. What is he doing? Who is this being? How do we understand him? Because he's, he's beyond our understanding. And he will take your mind and he will take our minds and he will push us further beyond ourselves as we pursue him. Friends, pursue him. Because when we do, we will find, at the end, an incomprehensible God. God's existence not only cannot be proved, it should not be attempted. God is not for proof, but proclamation. Not for argument, but for acceptance. It's only the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. The fool does have a day to celebrate his foolishness. April Fools. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The beginning begins here. 
there is a God. Who, who is he? Believe that he exists. That's the beginning part that the scripture says as we believe that he exists. There's a second application to our consideration of these things. We need to know the author of creation. And we can know him, friends, through Jesus Christ. We all live off of his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses and then this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding. All this came through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. That's John chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. You want to know the Father? You want to know the greatness of him? Start looking at Christ. Pursue Christ. Read about him. Study him. Find out what the Bible says about him. Pursue him, and I guarantee you that he will reveal who this Father is, and he will take us to levels that we've never considered. Third application, we need to see the big picture. We need to see the big picture. J.I. Packer said, the world dwarfs us all, but God dwarfs the world. Colossians tells us, Paul says, set your hearts on minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. We need to watch the news. We need to see what's going on in our world today, but at the same time, we need to watch the world's news, but then we need to step back and we need to see the big picture. Because when we see the big picture, we're going to see things and we're going to have an observation about our world that will keep us from seeing the things that are happening today and we get so worried about them. Oh no, who's going to be elected? Oh no, what's going to happen with the election? You know what? God is bigger than our election. So step back and read God's clock of the ages after you watch the news. Because you're going to take one home and you're going to say, you know what, I need to see what time it is. Here it is. Open it up, read, consider, think, and then read the scriptures along with it. Earth looks much different at 3,200 feet than a tree limb of 10 feet from the ground. And fourthly, we need to be people of the book. As we said last couple of weeks, friends, wear that Bible out, wear this Bible out. If you've got it on your phone, use it. Wear it out. This book is our book. We need to be people of the book. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. There's life in this book. It's not a history book. It's a living book. And it will renew your soul every day if you allow it. Take it off, read it, study, meditate on it. God has revealed himself in creation. So my question for you and I this morning as we close is, what time is it? My clock back there says it's exactly 12 o'clock. This clock says... It's 12 o'clock. I'm letting you out at 12 o'clock. <laughs> Seriously, I'd like to ask you a question. And I want you to ponder this. And I want you to take the next 10 weeks and I want you to make a, a renewed commitment to asking yourself, what time is it for your life? Some of us have not pondered these thoughts. Some of us are just floating through life. This is a great question for us. It's time to seek him. It's time to know him. It's time to love him. It's time to submit to him. It's time to come to know him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Commit yourself, not only today, 
But for the next 10 weeks, this clock will be up here, and we're going to look at different ways in which God reveals himself. Can you trust him? You bet you can. How about you? Let's bow our hearts and our heads in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, may we be, de- be detective-like over these next 10 weeks, if we haven't done already. Help us, Father, to investigate you to the nth degree, and we will find that the nth degree never comes, for we can never exhaust the resources of your heart and your soul. Father, surprise us these next 10 weeks. Amaze us. May we see the awesomeness of who you are. May we say together, our God is an awesome God. Because we know, Father, that you have revealed yourself through the ages and you have been faithful to your promises. When you say it, it's as good as gold. Thank you, Father, for your Son, the Lord Jesus, the Word that became human flesh. We give you the glory and the praise that he died in our place, was buried and rose again. Help us, Father, to believe that. Help our unbelief, O God, to live in grace and to rest in the promises. And to give us, Father, a glimpse yet again of who you are. Thank you for these moments. Thank you for your word. Give us a good rest of the day as we leave this place. And all God's people said.